0: Hey, hey, remarkable people, this is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Tony Acosta is a family man with an adorable son and beautiful wife. He is also the vice vice president of the Utah Podcast Coalition. Yes, there are two vice presidents. He has over 228 listings and sales on Zillow and is currently building his own brokerage. He has over 7,000 followers on Instagram and averages 10,000 views on his Instagram videos. It is amazing. He is also obsessed with shoes. You can check it out on his Instagram. And he is undoubtedly a difference maker. Check out all his contact information in the show notes. Tony, welcome to the show. Will you share with my audience why you got into real estate and why you specifically choose to serve people of Hispanic descent?
1: Absolutely, Tracy. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, I listened to your show, so I'm humbled and grateful to finally be able to chat with you. Uh, You know, my story in real estate, I first got into it when I came back from serving a mission for my church. I lived in Honduras for two years, and so I came home, and I didn't really have too much of a plan. Uh, I wanted to go out to college, uh, but I didn't really have anything set in stone. And so uh, one of my parents' high school buddies actually was in real estate. And we uh, ran into him at a burger joint. That was about two weeks after I had come home, and he just started talking to my parents. Said, "Hey, what's he up to? What is he doing? Does he have any plans?" And so he actually asked my mom if I would talk to him in his office. He's like, "Hey, I got this real estate thing going. He was kind of trying to grow uh, his business at the time, and so I reluctantly went to that meeting. I was not into the idea because I already had my schedule. I had my." dorm. I had my roommates. I had everything. So I was thinking about the college life, but I sat down with him. He kind of showed me how the business worked, and it seemed really interesting. And, um, you know, so he kind of made me an offer that seemed really good uh, at the time. And so I took it and I jumped into real estate. I was 23 years old and I just started learning right off the bat.
0: This week, actually on your Instagram is that you shared how, The things you're grateful for that you received from both your parents and you specifically said that your mom has a love of the Mexican culture and that you have learned how to heritage, like you grew up doing traditional dance from Mexico and that you are so grateful that she also forced you to learn Spanish. Tell me how that's, of course, influenced who you chose as your real estate clientele.
1: Oh, it's been the factor. Uh, and it's interesting because I have, you know, cousins and people in my inner circle that are close to me that don't really speak Spanish too well, uh, or they're, they're, they've are they they kind of separated themselves a little bit from, from our roots. And so my mom really drove that home. Ever since we were little kids, uh, she would force us to, to do the Latin dances, even when we didn't want to do it. So I grew up doing that. And she also forced us to speak Spanish. So out of all of the bad things that a kid or a teenager can do the worst crime in my household was speaking english in the house like my worst punishments groundings whatever you want to call it came from not speaking spanish and so at the time as kids we thought it was stupid and honestly like we pushed back really hard because we didn't see the the value of that but you know now that i'm older my ability to communicate effectively in both english and spanish is my differentiator like it is what allows me to you know, help the people in my community. If I didn't have that, then it would be much more difficult, if not impossible. So, you know, honestly, my mom is 100% to credit for just maintaining our heritage alive within our household and the language as well. Because like I said, a lot of my cousins or friends that are my age, uh, either don't speak Spanish at all, or don't speak a good enough Spanish to, to where they feel comfortable in everyday conversation.
0: That is so amazing. Bravo to your mom. That is so beautiful. Because you talked about your family of origin and what you were impressed with about what your parents taught you and shared with you, what do you hope your son will say about you in 20 years?
1: Well, that that's a that's such a great question. Nobody had ever asked me that question, but I've thought about that. And I've actually talked to my wife about that because one of the things that growing up doing the whole dance thing allowed us to do is that my family is very close because every weekend we would have performances we would you know drive to other states you know so so we were always together all the time and so my parents are my good friends like I consider my parents my friends and I've learned to to realize that that's not always the case that you know in many cases people grow up and they move away and they have their families and You know, they'll see their parents maybe for Thanksgiving or for a birthday or Christmas. And, and that's pretty much it. But I mean, I try to see my parents every day if I can. And I genuinely consider my parents, my friends, like we'll hang out, we'll go to the movies, we'll go eat. Like the way that I was raised really helped me have a really strong bond with them. And so to your question, the only thing that I would hope is that when my son is 30, that he wants to spend time with me. That he doesn't do it just because he feels that he has to or because, uh, dad or, and obviously probably throughout his teens, it might be that way a little bit, but, you know, to some degree that when he's 30, that we still have a relationship that, you know, we still want to be close to each other, that we still have the confidence to have conversations to really talk about his life um, and what he's going through. And so I, I think that my parents did a really good job of that. And I would like to emulate that with my son.
0: That's beautiful. You share a lot of valuable content on Instagram and Facebook and every other channel. I feel like on possible social media um, about real estate and also about how to be your best self. What excites you about the real estate industry? Is it still engaging to you because you've been doing it for a while now?
1: Yeah, it, it actually is. I've, again, when I first started, I was not too into it. I felt like real estate was like an old man's game. But as I started doing it, I realized that it really is life-changing to people. And especially in my community, for a lot of folks, it's you know first-time home buyers, people that maybe have been here for years and years and years, but either because of a language barrier or a knowledge barrier, they just didn't feel like they could accomplish that goal of home ownership, my parents included. And my parents have been here for 30 years, and they just bought their home five years ago. And when we were going through that process, I remember asking my dad, I said, Hey, like, why did you never purchase a home before? Cause he's always had a stable job. You know, he's, he's always done fairly well for himself. And his answer was, I just didn't know how, like, I didn't know who to approach. I didn't, I didn't know how it worked. So he just, he just never did. He probably could have bought a home 20 years ago and he never did. So many people that have a similar experience experience to where they go from, you know, paying really high rents and, you know, they can get into a little starter home and that appreciates, they sell, they pay off their debt and they can slowly start to build something that belongs to them. And in the Hispanic culture, it's a lot about what you leave behind. It's a lot about building something for yourself that, can make, that, that belongs to you. That's really important to us. And so just to be able to be a small part of that journey in people's lives, has uh, been a- incredibly rewarding, and I really have grown to love that process. Well, that's so beautiful to empower a community. There's such a need for, for example, educational content in Spanish. There's not much, and so I feel like there really is a void there that we can try to you know throw our our little pebble in the ocean to try to fill.
0: Yeah, that is so empowering. What deflates you about the industry or may discourage you?
1: I think one of the things that I think about often, and I've actually learned this within the last couple of years, is that the competition within the real estate industry can get really dirty. You know, just like anything, there's good people, there's bad, right? Just like anything you you do, there's good people involved and there's bad apples, but sometimes it can get ugly you know it, there are agents that resort to backbiting and you know talking about people and trying to just harm people's reputations to gain clients and so that's something that i try to be really careful about to make sure that me or my team never participate in but there is that dark side of the industry where because there's large checks involved that sometimes makes people act a little bit out of character and you know sometimes you know greed can can get the best of us. And, and, and that makes us make decisions that can hurt somebody else. If we're just focused on trying to get paid.
0: I feel like any person can be a good person, but they can make poor choices when they feel enticed by something. Of course. So I know in regards to Instagram and Facebook, and just kind of how you've grown yourself on social media. So tell us how you've done that. How have you made a bigger splash and utilized the tools of social media to grow your audience?
1: So it's an interesting story because when I first got into real estate, as I mentioned, I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't even have a college degree. I didn't have any, I didn't know anything about real estate. And so it was, it was really tough for me to try to start making my mark. Also going back to the whole family thing, you know, my mom, a lot of people know my mom because of, the 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 dance school that she has. And so for a long time I had to kind of push against that in in saying I am not Tony Acosta. I am Raquel's son. And so I would actually have conversations with my mentor about that of I had to find a way to to make a mark. And for me, that was Facebook in the beginning. So I remember on one occasion just kind of it was just one of those hard days. I just didn't feel like I was getting very far. And, you know, I had a a conversation with my mentor at the time and he said, you have to stop focusing on what you don't have because you're always going to be lacking something, right? Whether that be experience or all of the reasons why I was telling myself that I was going to lose, said, you have to find what you do have because everybody has something. And we as human beings, I feel like we're so good at underestimating ourselves and undervaluing ourselves. So everybody else is a rock star. Star, but you. Everybody else is amazing, but you. And I fell into that early on. I really, really did. And so I just figured that if one person had a real estate question, there was probably a hundred other people that had the same question. And so what I started to do is, whenever I got a question, I would just write it down. I had just a notepad. I would write down the question, and then I would just make a short little video on Facebook, and I would just answer that question. And I started doing that every single day. And now going on nine years and eventually, you know, nobody listened for the first three, but you know, year four, five, six, and seven, it started to catch on. Like people started to trust me. People would see me in their feeds, and maybe they they wouldn't watch every video, they would just keep scrolling. But the idea was that whenever that day comes, because real estate is not like any other product where you might buy it every month or every day, people maybe buy three, four, five homes in their lifetime. My goal was, I don't know when, for example, I don't know when Tracy is going to need to buy or sell a home. But whenever that day is, I'm going to be in her feed. Whenever that day hits, I'm going to be in her feed. And that's just what I, what I try to do one day at a time. And you know, sh- slowly but surely, I started getting DMs. Hey, I'm looking to buy, I'm looking to sell. And then I would just keep recycling questions and just you know, giving my perspective. And uh, that was just kind of the beginning. Then we, we transitioned to Instagram. It got a little bit fancier because I had a a content manager and then the podcast, but it, it all just started, honestly, just answering questions on Facebook.
0: And how do you feel like you were able to persist through the three years of not having much that came from it? Did you enjoy it or did you just find a way to keep going?
1: It had good days and bad days. Like There are still videos out there. Like if you go really, really in the back, they have 18 views. And like the only like is like my parents. And there's like one comment from my aunt. So it was hard, you know, because I was trying to be professional. I was trying, I was a 25, 26 year old kid and I was trying to be someone in real estate. And the only comments I was getting was hearts from my aunts. And so it was really hard to, to kind of say, Hey, you know, I'm at times I I would be tempted to tell my aunts, Hey, like, don't, maybe don't put stuff like, like that or whatever, but it just takes persistence. Like I honestly believed that social media was the way that people were going to communicate. I honestly believed that it was a thing, you know, back nine years ago, Facebook did exist. Instagram didn't exist yet, but it was uh, man. I feel old. Instagram didn't exist then. Um, but I just believed that, that these platforms were going to mean something. And so I just said every single day and it was the only thing I had, right? It was, I didn't, you know, I would do some cold calling when I needed to or some like door knocking when I needed to, but I, I just felt like social media was a better way. I just felt like that was a way that I could reach more people and I could be in their feeds on a daily basis. Cause I, I, I'm not gonna go knock on someone's door every single day, but if they give me the opportunity I can be in their feed every single day if they find my content valuable.
0: I feel like you're an early adopter, Tony. (laughs) I feel like I'm just like, oh, fine, I'll do this. But I feel like it's been like a real struggle. So I'm really impressed. And I'm curious what you would say to a first-time homebuyer in Salt Lake area right now in November of 2021. What's some sound advice?
1: So I think that right now the market is in a very interesting place to where two things are happening at the same time. Number one, there's a lot of demand for properties. And number two, interest rates are still very low. Usually you have one or the other, because when there's a lot of demand, that's when banks can make a lot of money. So typically, you'll see when when demand is really high, interest rates will be high at the same time, because again, the higher the interest rate, the more money the lenders are going to make. But right now, because of the whole COVID situation, it's flipped on its head. So interest rates are really low because the government wants people to continue to spend. And at the same time, at least here in Utah, the market's still very, very good. And so when you understand the unique point in time that we're in, now's the time to do something because eventually one or the other is going to change. Either you're going to go from a crazy seller's market, which we're in right now, which a seller's market basically means that there's a whole bunch of buyers either that's going to change and we're going to transition into more of a buyer's market or rates are going to go up. So one of those two things has to happen at some point in time. And so my advice is, number one, try to understand this unique moment in time. And number two, just be willing to to compete. I always say that in this market, you have to have a stomach because you're going to be competing with a bunch of people. You know, some homes right now, winter, uh, it's not as bad as it was in the summer, but you're still going to compete with three, four, five, six other buyers for every home. In the in the summer, you were competing with 20 or 25. So it has died down a little bit, but there is still a lot of competition. So you have to have a stomach. And what I mean by that is you might not win the first offer or the first two, three, four offers. And so you have to be willing to compete and to make sure that you can continue searching, even if um, you know, your first or second offer doesn't get accepted right away.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. I also, so I feel like the government is also stuck though with low interest rates because if they raise those, it's going to create an economic fallout. Is that true? That's my conception of that as well.
1: No, I agree with you. It, it has to be very gradual uh, cuz you also have inflation issues and things like that. But, you know, rates in my opinion cannot be this low forever. Right. Now they have slowly started to climb. I remember, you know, back when we were heavy in COVID, I mean, interest rates were two point two five. Now they're probably about a point higher. It has to be gradual, but it has to happen. in In my opinion, now can they go super high to like six, seven, eight percent? I don't believe so. But you know, one point can make a substantial difference. You know, yeah. one, one point can be the difference between buying a house that's four hundred or four fifty, and there can be a substantial difference in quality with 400 or 450 or whatever the case may be. So um, I agree with you that it can't be like tomorrow because yeah, that would just ruin everything. It would just throw a wrench in, in the machine. But I think that gradually it, it does have to go to you know, a more normal level, maybe in the fours or something like that.
0: Yeah. And you are really into, I feel like also the self-realization world. So what are you currently learning about and studying that is helping you grow? Or become more aware.
1: So I did a seven-day video challenge um, just barely just this this last week, and so it was very interesting because the the prompts for the videos really got me thinking. And so one of those things was, you know, what is something that you've never shared with anybody. So I shared a little bit about my own struggles with with what I believed was mental health issues, um, and what, and the reason why I say I believed was mental health issues. Was because I didn't really have a mental illness, as it as it pertained to, um, you know, like having a problem with my brain, for example. What I did have was just the inability to cope with certain with, with certain situations. And so, one of the things that I'm 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 really studying right now is is it's is mental health specifically when it comes to men, because we as men we struggle, we really do. It, it's not a cool thing. It's very difficult to be vulnerable. And so try and push back on that and help people just understand that it's okay. Like it doesn't make you less of a man if you're down one day or, you know, to be able to talk about your issues, talk about your insecurities. Like that is something that in my opinion has to be normalized. And we have to get to a place as a society where if you go to therapy, people don't look at you like you're crazy. Or people don't look at you like you're a psycho. It should become a very normal thing. The same way that over the last decade or whatever, fitness has gotten very mainstream. I feel like the next kind of frontier for human evolution is the mental health aspect. And anything that I can do to, to try to push that along, uh, that's kind of what I'm uh, I'm on a high on right now. Because fitness, the, the, the transformation of the body has been a really big, point, I feel like over the last decade or two. And now I think we have to transition to the development of the mind and the emotions.
0: And what have you found as a tool that helps men with their mental health? What's helped you?
1: So what has helped me is just come into the realization that, that it's okay. I think that, I think that that is, is the sticking point because when, at least I'll speak for myself, but I think I can speak for men. When we feel safe, we'll do whatever it takes. We will go out and we will hunt and we'll provide for our families and we'll fish and we'll run and we'll do whatever it takes when we feel safe. When we don't feel safe, we retreat and we get very quiet and we just go into our cocoon. That's just our nature um, when we don't feel safe. So I think that getting to a place as a society where we as men can feel safe to talk about these things. Uh, I think that that is going to be the first big, big breakthrough um, where we don't feel like we're going to be frowned upon or stigmatized or seen as less of a man because I'm struggling with my self-esteem. I'm struggling with whatever the case may be. It doesn't make me less of a man per se. If I can look in the mirror and say, hey, I have these issues and I need some help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the mental health thing has already been trying to make a revival for a long time of like, just normalizing things as well. But I feel like it has, it has more territory to cover before it's still, we just gonna We're going to have to keep on working on that one.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: Yeah. And I, do you have, what's, what's a routine? So I asked about your morning routine. What, do you have one? Do you follow some?
1: So when it comes to a, a, a daily routine, like a specific list of things, not so much, but I do try to, so I'm I'm in a coaching program that basically talks about a concept called core four, which is uh, power, purpose, passion, and production. So I try to hit those four core core points every single day to do something for, we talk about passion we're talking about relationships we're talking about you know marriage uh when we talk about uh, power we're talking about our our physical body our our fitness the way that we eat the way that we take care of ourselves purpose our connection to a higher being whatever you believe if that's religion if that's god if that's whoever but you know finding that spiritual uh purpose and then last of all production which is just you know business um and how we make a living so What I've tried to do is every single day do something for each of those points and try to keep them as in balance as I possibly can. But what I found is that if I can, because for me, things have to be simple, right? So if I can just have four core things that I need to kind of have in mind, it just makes it simpler for me. And so that has really helped me to kind of categorize my day and my actions. And okay, this action that I'm going to take okay, this is, this is a power move. This is a purpose move. This is a production move. This is a passion move. And so it, it has really helped me be more productive in each of those areas. And I can truly say that it's made my life a whole lot better.
0: That's fabulous. I love how simple that is. That's brilliant. Is that program designed specifically for men or is it both men and women?
1: Uh, it's for both. There is more men than women in the program. But there are also some extraordinary women in there as well. So it definitely goes both ways. But you know, for me, I've just been able to, again, just kind of simplify things and just make sure that every day I'm doing something for those core four and just make sure that because also if I only have to worry about four things, I know like today I didn't do anything purpose driven today. I didn't do anything passion today. So it just makes it easier to also identify where I'm falling short. And to be able to rectify that quickly.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And what goal do you currently have that is outside your comfort zone?
1: So right now I'm actually in the process of starting my own real estate company. And so that's scary, right? Because I I had been working for uh, an agency for the last nine years. And so now kind of breaking off and starting to do my own thing. Uh, it's definitely scary. There's a lot that I feel that I don't know yet just because I've never had to know it as it pertains to the legal side, as it pertains to like nuance when it comes to actually building a company versus just running a real estate team. Because I got very good at the real estate process. So buying homes, selling homes, contracts, clauses, negotiations, all of that I got really, really good at. But the actual business structure, that's where it kind of Well, not kind of, it absolutely pushes me out of my comfort zone because I don't know a lot of those things, you know, just to be completely transparent, you know, the difference between an LLC and an S corp. And, you know, if you have to have this kind of insurance versus that kind of insurance, you know, and how to maintain your books and how you're going to do track expenses. Like there's a lot of things outside of just knowing how to negotiate real estate that I have to jump in there and learn. And it's scary. Like I've, I've talked to my wife about it pretty consistently And it does kind of cause a little bit of heartburn, but I, you know, I I know that that's where that's where we all grow, right? And if we don't jump in the pool, then we'll never learn how to swim.
0: Amen. And Tony, you know how to jump in a pool, so I'm (laughs) super pumped for you. Way to like, that's a huge leap, and that is, we're cheering for you here at the, you know, in Tracy's (laughs) room right here, as well as in like the world. We're cheering for you. Um,
1: Appreciate that.
0: And also. Share an unhealthy habit that you've quit and how did you do it?
1: So what I've, what, what I've quit, there's an interesting, uh, I, I, I was listening to a podcast probably three or four months ago about being kind to yourself. And it's something that I had, i had heard a lot because you, I mean, you, you always hear things like that, especially if you consume personal development literature, you know, that that that's all over the place, but I made a conscious effort to catch myself whenever I was speaking bad about myself, whenever I was putting myself down, I tried to really be conscious of that and stop doing that. And, you know, for example, just over over this, this trip, I just came back from a trip to New York, super fun. But my wife, that we had a kind of an interesting interaction. And uh, I'll share this because we were taking photos. And she kept saying that she didn't like the photos. She's like, I don't know how to pose. I don't like posing. I don't like these photos. I'm not good at and she's a photographer. So she kind of holds herself to a high standard. And she's like, I don't know how to do this. She was just kind of being negative. And so I said it kind of like jokingly, but I said, hey, don't talk about my wife like that. And we kind of laughed about it. And we, you know, but I meant that. You know what I mean? Like we have to be kinder to ourselves because we give everybody else the benefit of the doubt. And we give everybody else all of these outs and all of these excuses. And we're so good at justifying that everybody else is a superstar, but us. And so when I said to my wife, hey, don't talk about my wife like that, I meant that. And even though we kind of giggled about it and it was kind of, you know, um, I mean that. And I try to do that with myself as well of, you know, don't talk about Tony that way. Because your subconscious mind is listening. And, you know, the, in the same way that a lot of people maybe have like parent issues, mommy issues, or daddy issues because of things that their parents said to them when they were kids out of anger or something like that, I feel that the same thing applies to us. And we can literally traumatize ourselves by our self dialogue. And that has to change. We have to be kinder to ourselves. So that that can then allow us to not fall into these mental health traps that come out of being too hard on ourselves.
0: Absolutely, that is so powerful. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that story. And what have you learned about life by becoming a father?
1: Whew, that is a loaded question. I think what i what I've learned is that my my actions and my decisions have tremendous consequences. Like the way I choose to show up for my son in large part is going to determine how he shows up for himself. And so in my personal life, I, I talk about this often actually, that there's a lot of people in my inner circle that have daddy issues a lot. And none of it is their fault, you know, from um, people in my inner circle who, went through divorce and their dad left or their dad was never really present or their dad was an alcoholic or he struggled with drugs or he was just he worked so much he was just never around and so there's in my inner circle there's a lot of daddy issues that have not been resolved. And when my son was born I told my wife, you know, my son's gonna have issues because everyone's gonna have issues, but he's not gonna have daddy issues. Like if 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 I can save him from something it's going to be from, from having daddy issues. He's going to have other issues for sure. And hopefully they're not super crazy, but that, that is my commitment that he will not grow old with daddy issues. Cause I've seen the damage that it can cause. Um, and so that's, that's what I get. You know, I wake up every day saying, you know, if I can do anything, it's avoid my son feeling like he was never good enough for his father.
0: That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Tony. What are you grateful for today in this gratitude season? Tell us three things.
1: So I'm grateful for the people in my inner circle. I'm grateful for my family. And even though it's something that everybody says again, but the way that I was raised really made family. These, these central portion I talked about in my video challenge, I talked about my dad, how he, he doesn't have friends. He doesn't go out with the guys he never did. Like ever since I was a kid, I'd never remember my dad having a friend. And some people might say that that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the reason why is because we were his friends. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that relationship. I'm grateful and kind of going back to what you and I are, are involved in things like the Utah podcast coalition and things like that. I'm grateful for these tools. You know, these tools that, that allow us to have this conversation right now, even though my lighting is bad, we can still connect, you know, and, and, and we can still try to have an impact on people. So I'm grateful for this technology, for these, these tools that, that allow us to connect with anyone around the world, you know, I, I had a podcast prep call with someone in Australia that was unheard of before. Like now you can connect with anyone on planet earth, just with this block that I'm holding in my hand. And so when we know how to use these tools for good, I feel like we can do so much. And last of all, you know, I would just say for the opportunity to be that, you know, I've, I've, I've learned so much and I know that I'm going to continue to learn, but I've kind of put myself on the spot by having a kid. You know, because now my actions don't just affect me, right? If I show up like a jerk, or if I don't know how to control my emotions or my anger, or if I don't work on myself, then that's going to affect my kid um, moving forward. And so it's, it's a huge responsibility, but I'm grateful for that responsibility.
0: From an outsider who doesn't have kids, I think the greatest act of self-realization is to have a child.
1: Oh, yeah. Like if we're talking about jumping in the pool, like not only do you jump in the pool, but the pool is boiling and there's weird animals in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great, what a great visual.
0: I love it. Okay. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your incredible, profound wisdom. And of course, for being somebody who is making the world a more wonderful place to live in.